You're listening to season two, episode 14 of That's What She Did podcast. I'm your host, Tangie Renee, and this is a super special bonus episode. Before we jump into the super special bonus episode, I want to remind you that season two is at an end. But as a listener and fellow inspiration junkie, you have a chance to decide who we interview next season on season three. All you have to do is tweet at me at TWSD podcast and tag the person you think should be a guest on this show when we come back in March. Remember to tweet at TWSD podcast with the name and reason why this woman you are nominating should be on the show. If you don't like Twitter, no problem. Send me an email at that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. And when I say woman, I mean that in a non-gender binary kind of way. One quick reminder that although this season is at an end until March, in the meantime, you can catch me on my new podcast called The Skin You're In, launching January 15th, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a podcast that aims to demystify all your health, fitness, and mindset questions. You can expect real talk and real answers to help you lead healthier lives. Most importantly, love the skin you're in. I hope you'll join me. Until then, thank you again for being a supporter of this show. Now, let's get started. Welcome back, Inspiration Junkies, to a very special bonus episode of That's What She Did podcast. Now, you guys know that we already wrapped season two for the winter. We're not coming back until the spring. Well, I guess it's March is still winter, right? March, early spring, whatever. We're coming back from Women's History Month. But as I promised you, I have a very special bonus episode for you today because I have Ms. Bhagya Rangachar from season one, episode 15, on with us today so that you can hear her story in her words and all of the great things that she's doing and an update on that episode. So for those of you that have been listening with us since the beginning, we did a profile on Bhagya and her organization called Children's Love Castle Trust, or CTL India for short. Um, based out of Bangalore, India. And she happens to be in San Francisco right now for an award and a major global conference in the education suite that's going on. So we're gonna tell you all about that. And while she's here, she took time, her and her team took time out of her incredibly busy schedule for That's What She Did podcast so that she could update all you listeners and let you guys know what's going on now. This episode, episode 15 of season one about Bhagya and her organization was one of the most popular episodes of season one. So I'm so excited to have her here today in her own words, in real time, letting us know what's happening in her world. So please welcome with me Bhagya Rangachar from CTL India. Welcome, Bhagya. Tangiers, thank you so much. I mean, it's such a great opportunity for me to be here and to be able to share the stories and you're given such a good platform for me to be able to um, share our uh, stories about our work and our experiences and the impact. Um, thank you so much. No, thank you. Um, I know that you traveled all the way from India to be in San Francisco for the Wharton Reimagine Education Awards, which I know is, it's a big deal. It's basically the Oscars of education. <laughs> it's, it's all of the people from across the globe that are making global impact in the education space. Um, and I know that it's an exciting time, but it's also, uh, it's rough, right? You have a lot going on. So we really appreciate that you thought of us that that you were coming here and you reached out and said hey (laughs) we want to update so we appreciate it so much and again your episode was one of the most popular episodes 
really wow. to date, not just a season one. When I went back and looked at the statistics, uh-huh. it, it's continuing to get downloads. I think wow. people are really interested in what you are doing. So I'm very happy. heartwarming, very heartwarming <laughs> to hear that. I'm thank so you. thrilled to have you here. So thank you. Now, for all the listeners that are going to be downloading this episode, if you have not listened to the first episode about Bagya, we didn't have her on, we just profiled her. Go back and listen to it because it'll give you a little bit of background. We're not going to get into the full depth of everything today. I think there's probably some information in that previous episode that we won't cover today. But what we have today, I think, is even better. What we have is Bagya that's really going to give us the down low on how this whole thing started. And, and there's no better person to hear it from, from the founder herself. And just for a quick little bit of background, I came across CTL India kind of by accident. I was compiling my pre-production list and I was putting together like, who do I want to talk about? Who would be really interesting? Who is that impactful, incredible, badass woman doing really amazing things (laughs) that you've never heard of? (laughs) And if you're outside of the education space, then you've probably never heard of this organization or of Bagia. So I was just doing random Google searches and came across something and clicked on a link and I couldn't even tell you how I found it, but I landed on this website and I was like, hmm what is this? (laughs) And I remember spending like a good hour on your website, Bagia, just trying to really understand the work that you're doing because it's really deep. It's a deep level of work. Yeah. Yeah. um, Thank you. Yeah. Doing to serve the most underserved students throughout Mm -hmm. India. So let's start out by just giving us that story of what CTL India is and how you got started. Huh. <laughs> Made a mouthful there. Um, it's CLT India, by the way. Um, but uh, so it actually got started um, quite by chance, not by design. I would admit that. Um, having said that, to me, um, nothing is accidental. Your preparation would have started years earlier for you to develop a mindset to recognize the opportunities to serve mm-hmm. because that has been that has always been very important to me so that the work would have started but not necessarily an opportunity to start working right this was about 21 years back i'm talking about uh, i was living in us at that time as a mother a wife and a career in software development i came to india with my youngest to be close to my father for one year. My mother had just passed away. During that year, I uh, befriended a bunch of construction workers' children living next to my apartment. That particular building was unfinished. They ran out of money, they stopped the construction, but the construction workers were still living there and the children were there. And somehow they became my friends. The children had become my friends. And also had a lot of free time because I'd just gone there for a year without a, without job or anything. So I would watch the children every day from my window into their unfinished building. And I would see them every day going to a nearby school in spite of um, dire poverty. Um, they had no home to call it their own. And I would then I would see them every evening. Um, building castles in piled mud. So this is where the love castle part right. came from. So okay. that was the trigger for me. That was the trigger. I followed them to the school one day. Every one of the 270 children had a similar story, similar background. Parents didn't have definite income. Children could be pulled out of school any day. Schools had no lunch programs. Parents could not send lunch to school. Yet every day I would watch children walking to school and then building castles in the mud as they walked back home. So this scene was very haunting and would resonate every single day for me. 
um, I was just consumed by this one idea that I should respond to my calling. You know, I had a stirring. Right. Like, what am I doing? You know, I've lived, I've lived a very comfortable life. I've lived a very privileged life. Mm-hmm. And I was there, you know, is there anything I could do? So that was a calling for me. And I said, and I said, you must respond to your calling and act. Not just think about it, reflect, but act. So, and, and I never went back to mm-hmm. US. I was supposed to go back after one year. Believe it or not, I just never went back. Within a few years, my family had moved moved back to India, of course. Mm-hmm. And and the work was relentless after that. Yeah. There was no looking back. And it was just relentless um, work. So and I don't know anything about setting up a nonprofit foundation. I don't know much about working in India. Um, so the first three months was about, you know, registration of a nonprofit foundation, things like that. And the name of, uh, you guessed it before I, I actually said it, <laughs> Children's Love Castle Trust, the name came to be, it was a metaphor for me. Um, for me, it was a metaphor because uh, with this trust, with, with the nonprofit foundation, we would enable these children to build real castles with our support. That's the way the name came about. But I always have trouble explaining that name because I just... <laughs> So now we call ourselves CLT India for that. So the first program I actually, I really, really wanted to do was set up a school lunch program. Mm -hmm. because I was so moved by it. The entire lunch, uh, it wasn't even an event. There was, uh, they would just play in the mud for some more time and they would get back to the classroom again because they were all uh, day laborers children. Uh Um, So the first program we really um, wanted to do was... uh, set up a school lunch program and very hygienic, nutritious meals cooked every day at the school premise. This is what we wanted to do for this one school of 250 children. That's the way it would start. Then I realized CLT was the first to launch a, state, a midday meal program in, in our state. In, I've come from Karnataka state Uh and we were the first one to launch a program in the state. There was no such program. So I had to get permissions and, um, you know, there were many, many things I had to do. So, but then I was, yes, this is exactly what I was going to ask you. Was there anybody else doing that? So, so you're, you're living in, in your, this apartment building, you look out the window, you see these families essentially living in an abandoned building. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they're going to school and the children are playing in the mud and making castles out of the mud and you realize they're going to school and they're not eating. That's right, right. A, a very basic need. Correct. So you said you followed them to school one day? Like, yeah. You're just like, I'm going to go <laughs> check this out. I'm going to see what's happening. <laughs> I, yeah, I, by then I, they, were, they had already become my friends. You know, I would see them playing. Sometimes they would come home, some of them to watch TV in my living room. So there was a little story behind mm-hmm. that. So one day I just said, what's actually, what kind of school are they actually going to, you know? Is that a proper school? Um, that way, you know, the curiosity led right. me there. And I think it was meant to happen. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I would never have started the program. So, And then um, when you realized that nobody else was doing this, there was no was other organization that was trying right. to... Right. A, a midday healthy meal for these kids was there a moment when you thought oh well maybe I can't maybe this is too hard maybe this is too big was there a moment of doubt for you there not for me personally because I don't know what I operated what I was operating from <laughs> but um, there were many that discouraged me um, yeah. including the department of education they yeah. said uh, because they said, um, you know, what if, what if uh, there is food poisoning? Uh, you're going to get uh, into trouble. Maybe why don't you just give benches? Because the children don't have benches. Um, why don't you set up a library? Why don't you, you know, why don't you do something safer? You're just one woman who has come from another place and then want to set up a midday meal. It's a bit daunting, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, I just said, if I'm going to do only one thing, I was going to set up a, start a lunch program. So, and then when they realized how uh, stubborn I was, 
then they said we have to make it official we had to do um sign up memorandum of understanding mm. uh, make it legal and all of those things but they're all uh, just details now um i just want to say the lunch was started <laughs> we set we set up a kitchen and uh, we actually ran this program for 7 years um with very committed volunteers mm-hmm. so before i knew it we had set up a whole lot of volunteers to help us uh, help me run this program they all came from different backgrounds we had youngsters we had women housewives and um, we were doing it in 10 schools or uh, the second year um it had grown from 1 to 10 year 10 uh, schools um and then uh, in 7 years the the state recognized and they made it their own program the state did it uh, the entire state they got the midday meal program it became official So does that mean that they took your program and made it a state policy or they just did their own thing separately I would like to think I was one of the influencers although I can't say because the government is very big I can't possibly say um that that would be the only reason but I would definitely say we were the great influencers because we were the first one to start it sure um uh, not only that um, by then we have served 2 million um 100 10,000 uh, lunches in wow. 10 village schools to prove kids do attend schools regularly and nutrition had to become part and parcel of education yeah. so that was the documentation we could give the share with the uh, the government um and then um, we were ready now to uh, move into the education space at a deeper level So prior to to this government program after you started yours which I don't know how they could not have been influenced by what you were doing when no one else was doing it. So <laughs> we're just going to say that they took what you were doing and just put more resources behind it. So <laughs> after that happened um challenge challenge yeah right, you, yeah. you shifted a little bit but did that mean that It, there was not a policy before that that nutrition and education go together for these students uh, so it's all a question of uh, finances also and priorities uh-huh. of the budget mm-hmm. um for whatever reason until then um the schools hadn't decided it was a priority although some neighbor neighboring state had started it mm-hmm. um before this particular state I also learned a lot from that state. Sure. Um I, but I was the first one to start it in this state. But many states had not started it at that point 20 years back. But now um pretty much the whole nation is serving uh, school lunches to the children free of cost. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Yeah, very so, encouraging. This happens you shifted to get into a deeper level of education. So tell us what that looked like and and how you decided where you were going to focus your efforts. So while we were doing the school midday meal uh, program in itself, it gave us a deeper understanding into other challenges the school system had. And the biggest and most daunting of the challenges was uh, acute teacher shortage mm. nationwide. um the, and the government was actually making strides into improving you know making sure every child was in was in school um increasing access by building more schools and school lunches etc they just didn't know how to tackle the teacher shortage uh, program how do you suddenly produce uh, more teachers because there's a human resource problem um so um that was so bad and um you know one teacher would be handling multiple grades um or uh, one teacher would have several classes to attend and there's no other person to actually help her with that so to us we actually wanted to address that particular problem about mm-hmm. how do you do that and also the elementary schools it was much worse our study also showed that as you moved up to higher grades in addition to shortage of teachers there was also lack of subject matter expertise um mm. in the science te- there was not a science teacher there wasn't a mathematics teacher 
there was one general teacher who was asked to teach everything and she didn't know how to teach any of that. So this sort of uh, brings you into the space about how the rest of our work unfolded. Right. Because, yeah, because then that means the children, you're giving them a day meal, you're making them comfortable, they're coming to school, but learning isn't happening. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest challenges for that is the teachers that aren't there in every classroom are the teachers that are there. They don't know how to teach these subjects and there were no resources in classrooms. Nobody had given them additional resources mm-hmm. like workbooks and worksheets and other things. They were only given textbooks and blackboard. So this sort of sets the stage for our current work. Sure. How it, That was a challenge that uh, we actually uh, wanted to address. And a personal level for me, the challenge was um, bringing an awareness about this problem to the rest of the world. Because no one knows unless you go to these schools how difficult it is for this one single teacher to be handling that many students, that many classes, not knowing how to teach. So that was my personal biggest challenge um, mm-hmm. to bring attention to that problem to the rest of the world. I see. Um, yeah. I love it. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so right there with you. So you, <laughs> you see another problem, you're like, okay, they're going to handle lunches that can go off my plate. Let's dig deep around yeah. making sure these kids are actually learning. learning. Yeah. Yes, that's why they're learning. in school. Right. That's why they're there. Yeah. Yes. It's not yeah. daycare. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, so with your current work, um, one quick question, Bhagya, um, if I recall correctly, is, is it true that in your work in, um, with all of the different schools that you've worked with, that you're also dealing with many, many different languages being spoken in the schools? Is that yeah. true? Yeah, so, so, now, uh, so now I want to talk about the work, the current yeah. work, um, why and how we fit. Uh, I sort of explained the challenges, mm-hmm. but then how am I actually going to come up with a solution for that? Um, so our body of work has been an understanding the challenges schools have every single day come up, coming up with affordable interventions mm-hmm. in the local context um, to keep the kids in schools engaged and learning with a difference in spite of some of the challenges schools have. That's the body of work. Under the umbrella of a pro- program called e Patishale, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about the work that we have done. Okay. E, e means uh, technology enabled. Patishale means traditional, traditional classrooms. Oh, okay. So we called it e Patishale. So our objective was to actually augment the efforts of existing teachers, not to replace the teachers. doesn't matter how average, how bad, how good, because the teachers are very much there to stay. That's the human presence. But how do we augment their efforts of existing teachers by leveraging the strength of technology to replicate and build models at scale? Now, uh, what do I mean in simpler language? Yes, please. Uh, yeah. See, uh, you know, teachers don't have knowledge to teach many subjects that, like we already talked about. Um, they're also overwhelmed with the, just the management of classrooms. Sure. Now, how do you manage the students? How do you keep them quiet? You know, that kind of logistics. And the government has provided no resources other than what I told you, Blackboard and then the textbook. Mm-hmm. So from the first day, it was very clear to us that we needed to set up a research cell with master teachers who would actually design an entire courseware, you know, oh, pedagogy. So the, the teachers designed. Yeah, so we set up a, at a CLT resource center, uh-huh. we brought in about 100 master teachers who had the expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the urban teachers who had the expertise. And I wanted them to design the courseware for the local practitioners, the remote teachers. Yeah. I said, if you were, if if you were actually in those schools, how would you teach it? Mm -hmm. So design an entire curricula for them for middle school and high school. So that was, that was what we asked the teachers to do. And then um, 
I, we said we'll do it in STEM because that was the difficulty the teachers had in teaching. Plus I personally wore a different lens because my background has been in STEM as well. Sure. Um, science and um, you know technology. So we thought we'll give those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go a little bit fast for you now. Okay. So with, a, with a lot of research and exper- experimentation and pilot projects, we have developed an entire suite of innovative resources in alignment with the curricula. This would then take the form of digital content, about 3,500 videos. And then first we developed in English. You talked about local language. Mm -hmm. The reason was even this, we couldn't give it to the schools because they teach in local languages. So we had to replicate it into at least three other state languages. About how when, many local languages were they teaching? We, we have many states, at least probably 12. Okay. Wow. okay. 13. Mm-hmm. 13. Uh, but we, to start with, we covered about 50% of the country in four languages. Because wow. Hindi is spoken in 50% of the country. Okay. Uh, we did the Hindi. We did our own state. We did English and we did another neighborhood um, state. But having done that, we have a huge repository of STEM content in multiple regional languages, like 15,000 videos. Wow. But then it's sitting in our, in our office. It's sitting <laughs> in our server. How do we get it across to the schools? And the schools have no power. The schools have no internet. The schools do not have computers. So we actually had to come up with um, low-cost technology delivery models. So those, these resources can reach the schools. Yes. Okay. So that was the next challenge we had to um, take care of. You've done so much that it's, it's hard to boil it down to a short one episode for, for our <laughs> listeners. I mean, Bhagya, you could easily do your own podcast on just one of oh, aspects wish. of education to, tell, to get people up to speed on what this work actually looks like. And just for our listeners, um, because, you know, it, it's, there's no way for us to know how much our listeners know about education as a whole and how that works. Sure. And I have a little bit of background in education public policy here in the United States. So I just uh-huh. want to explain something to our listeners so they can understand how important this is. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you that have no background in education, you're like, I kind of get it, but I don't really get it. <laughs> Let me give you, add a little bit more so that you understand exactly how impactful this work is. So what Bhagya is talking about what what they're doing with CLT India is they took on the pedagogy part of education and what that really means it's the method and the practice of teaching um, which is what teachers are trained to do in their subject matter but they're often depending on where they're trained or what the policy is they're trained to do it in a very specific way and what CLT has done is they've taken that they went to master master teachers brought them together in a mastermind and said, let's tweak the pedagogy. Let's tweak the practice. Let's tweak the method so that we can make sure these kids are learning and not just learning, but they're, they're actually deeply knowledgeable on the subject matter that they're learning. So we're talking about real rubber hits the road type of teaching and learning in the classrooms directly with students. That's why this is so impactful. It's not just like new textbook or we're going to add this information. It's, it's, re, it's a revamping and a shifting of the entire approach to teaching. Mm-hmm. That's why Thank it's you. so huge. Thank so you so wanted, much for articulating it. Okay. <laughs> I have a little bit Better. of background, so yeah, I just wanted yeah. to throw that in there because I, it's a big, complicated topic. And so I want to make sure everybody understands how important that is. It's a very broad spectrum. Yes, yes. yes. It is. Please um, continue. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to say it's a 2018 today. Yes. So ePartishale, our program with the resources, with a plug and play um, device, a digital box that can actually get plugged into a television, simple, without internet connectivity. Um, 
it is in uh, 3500 village schools wow which is about 10000 classrooms and 1 million children are impacted in the way they're learning science and maths and english 30000 teachers are using the resources in their classrooms I, our program is running in three states um, and our library has resources in four languages uh, like i said 15000 videos and on STEM and teaching tips for, for teachers and students and all kinds of stuff. This is where we are. And we've made technology so simple um, that uh, it's very, very light for the teachers and any sophistication is at the back end for us to be handling it. As far as the teacher is concerned, she should just know how to operate a wireless mouse mm -hmm. and it can run on TV or a projector. She doesn't need computers. She doesn't need internet access. Um, there, if there is a power problem, most of these schools are solar powered because we have partnered with solar companies. Uh -huh. um, this is where we are. That's the progress so far. And uh, I also wanted to say, um, we have also added a data analytics piece for us to understand how the village teachers are using it, are they using it or not? What are the trends? So it gives us very good insights into understanding um, what kind of programs we need to be developing. That's so a great tech brain of yours. That's, uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually only, it gave me a mindset, but I had to bring in a lot of experts. Yes, um, of our course. board um, is tremendous with its expertise. Um, in research and technology and our team members are extremely, um, you know, um, innovative, um, things like that. So I'm just a voice for you here. <laughs> You're being very modest, but... No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> brought all these people together and made it happen. So there's something to be said about that. So, so up, up to this point, so 2018, you have taken the, the difficulty out of the tech piece, out of it. So it makes it easier for the teachers to teach it and for the students to access it, which is hugely important, the question of mm -hmm. access. Right. Is, I have to say, as a side note, I feel like you could teach a lot to our leaders here in the United States around the access question. Access is a huge problem mm -hmm, that we mm -hmm. have in education. And so I think that you should be advising them oh my goodness. To, to, um, to help us solve this problem. So, but, but you have found a way to solve the, the problem of access for all of these students and now have impacted over a million students with your work. How does, where so that's where you are now where do you see this going in the next three to five years uh, i just want to um say a little bit more about impact oh okay please do okay um first of all at the outset i wanted to mention that we have received a uh, few awards um yeah for low-cost innovation at scale uh including one from usaid um, we're very, very, very proud of that. And also, they also helped us with some grant mm -hmm. that helped us uh, expand the program and things like that. Um, the impact, there are many studies that have been done by other researchers to measure the impact. Teachers are actually influenced in a very positive way and are more confident to teach these lessons mm -hmm. that they have no um, uh, you know, expertise in. Now it's their fingertips. The, all right. these resources are at their uh, fingertips. Um, kids are actually learning. Um, their learning outcomes have improved. Many of them were behind uh, their grade level. They've been able to catch up after eight months of exposure to this particular program. Mm -hmm. um, there's a transformational change in the way these 10,000 classrooms uh, they're more dynamic, they're more engaged, they're more collaborative in the way they teach and learn instead of just a lecture de delivery by a teacher from the blackboard. Mm -hmm. There's a shift where girls are influenced with STEM opportunities in India and how education and employability um, are linked. Um, to me personally, 
uh, one of the most uh, impactful aspect is uh, i think we broke the myth that uh, schools had to be rich um to afford uh, e learning solutions mm. um i because uh, that you know the the myth was you needed to know english um and you needed to have a lot of money i think we broke that myth and we've been able to deliver this program with about approximately five dollars per child per year believe per it year. or not per year wow okay. with that with the technology with the resources with the solar component we are actually doing it at five dollars per child per year wow um so that's the impact that we wanted to talk about mm -hmm. and the schools have actually pride that they have smart classrooms and their enrollments have uh, increased and uh, the, sometimes they have also arrested some uh, dropouts and things like that mm -hmm. and it's now it also making its way into after school spaces community centers and things like that so that's the impact i wanted to talk about before i spoke about um the next um, 3 to 5 years i think that's what you was that your question that is a well i just want to say that's incredible and i think that there's probably many more applications that you can find for the technology and and I think that mm. you have busted the myth that right that you have to mm. come from a wealthy background to be able to leverage technology. When mm -hmm. isn't that what technology is supposed to do for us? It's supposed to make things more accessible, it's supposed mm -hmm. to make them easier, it's supposed yeah. to make them cheaper. And Absolutely. so there shouldn't be that myth. Um, but some people, you know, don't get it. And so I appreciate the the level of strategy that goes into saying how do we how do we actually use this thing that mm -hmm. mostly people with money are accessing because they can but we can also use that to create access for everyone i think it's a beautiful thing and it, it has such a, an important huge impact in the world so yeah it sort of uh, you know it creates equity and democratizes mm -hmm. right yes, the access absolutely exactly yeah so that's where you are now and we were gonna touch on the next three to five years where are you going from here okay yeah so now you know we need to see how we can actually break other barriers mm -hmm. so the resources are accessible even outside of classrooms in their homes uh, personal devices mobile phones because smart there's a big uh, smartphone uh, penetration in india now everybody owns a smartphone every teacher owns a smartphone so how how can our resources actually reach all of these uh, people uh, handheld devices mobile devices and things like that so that it can become even more accessible and even more uh, uh, affordable mm -hmm. um, we want to extend our reach from 1 million to 5 million in the next three years and 10 million in the next five years. Wow. This is what we want to do. And we need to, and then we need to extend the program to more states by adding more regional languages. For that, of course, we need to talk about how to raise money to, mm -hmm. or how to influence others to do that. Uh, we want to take this model to other nations uh where they have similar challenges uh, like you've talked about of remote areas and teacher shortage etc mm -hmm. how can i share these stories and then the models and the experiences so we could learn from each other we want to influence others to invest in the classroom space as well so we could actually make it even more um, efficient yeah um this is where uh, we want to be in the next uh, three to five years it's a big goal but i think you can do it with with uh, people like you supporting us yeah why not <laughs> I, i'm just i'm i'm barely i'm just doing a little thing here in podcasting um and i'm happy to share that story and it's it's gonna take so much work and so much focus from you guys but i i really believe that you can do it. i mean look at where where you started and where you are today and it's really inspiring Work. And we have miles to go. We are yeah. real. We still have miles to go. Take. There's still miles to go, but I really think that you're going to get there. And um, 
at the end, we'll talk about how listeners can support this work and help you get to that 5 million. Um, so, but we'll get there a little bit later. Um, for now, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. And I have some questions about you just being a woman in this space. Um, you know, coming from a background in technology in the US, I'm sure that you experienced um, some pushback or maybe some discouragement in being in that role when women are st still are the minority in tech spaces. So I'm wondering, what has that been like for you, especially in, in completely shifting your career and, and, and moving everything and putting everything you have into um, CLT India? What have you experienced as a woman in this work? Uh, these are going to be very short answers because, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know. I never have that um, that kind of focus on myself. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I could add to that is uh, as a woman, I think I probably wear a different set of lenses. It's more sensitized um, to the access that the girls face in reaching the schools. Sometimes even when they have menstruation cycles, Mm -hmm. They stop coming to the school because they have to do that walk. Right. Um, sometimes at a particular age, adolescent uh, age, they would stop coming to school continue, uh, forever. So that's why I thought to me, access is very important. It doesn't mean they need to be in a brick and mortar school building to learn. They should be able to learn wherever they are. And they should be able to go out and take an exam because mm -hmm. they have the confidence now and they don't feel like they have dropped out of school. Um, so to them, all of them are, again, everything leads to access and how strong, uh, you know, networks that we could build, uh, support systems we could build. So I, I'm probably more sensitized to that. Mm -hmm. And then most of the teachers, more than 50% of them are women teachers. And, um, you know, and I think of their challenges. Uh, with limited amount of time because when they go home, they've got their own families to attend to. They've got cooking and then they've got the cleaning. But when they come to school, they still need to figure out everything because the system isn't providing them with um, uh, training uh, that they need, uh, degrees that they need to possess, mm -hmm. resources that they need to have to make the jobs easier and things like that. So I just see, um, you know, she could probably be a wonderful teacher if someone supported her with those kind of resources. Right. That's about that. But I personally um, didn't feel like um, I was uh, um, challenged uh, as a, because I was a woman mm -hmm. at workplace or anything like that. Um, I, I don't know. I never felt that. To That's be great to hear. You. It's great to hear, really. Yeah. And I think it's also encouraging for... I think younger women and girls that are interested in STEM, and there's a lot of talk, especially right now in this point of time about um, technology careers not being welcoming mm -hmm. to women. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's good to hear that perspective that, that it didn't feel like it was anything that you needed to overcome. Rather, it better, it placed you in a position to really be able to act with empathy for other girls that you're working with, so. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not that when once you are um, when you when once you are in the field that the in discrimination it's not that but when you are young um, you need to be exposed uh, to the fun of science to the mm -hmm. fun of mathematics or the or uh, uh, you know like uh, curiosity and mm -hmm. you know those kind of things if you are exposed to that. Um, then it doesn't matter whether you become a science, scientist or go into science stream. It's just you develop a different kind of uh, inquisit inquisitiveness and problem-solving mm -hmm. skills and things like that. So that's also the, uh, so it's important that we create those opportunities when they're young, yeah, and not making it think it's something so difficult or um, forbidding for girls to take. It's like any other subject, but you need to make those efforts um, at the, when they're young. Yes. Yeah. yeah definitely. Show them that. Yeah, that might lead to some other opportunities. Yeah. Absolutely. So far in, in your work, Bhagya, what's the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Um, for me, 
personally, uh, giving and receiving with equal grace. Mm. You know, because one is giving, but you also need to learn how to receive with equal grace because it has a ripple effect. Because you said, I'm doing something very small earlier, but mm. it has um, a ripple effect because you're actually giving now. Um, it has a ripple effect and um, and then it expands me at a personal level. I just feel like into a boundaryless space mm-hmm. as, a, as a human being, you know, it just expands me when both of that is happening. Um, that's what it is for me. I love that. Giving and receiving with equal grace. I'm going to practice that. I'm going to I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> I, th- I think you're already doing it. I'm just verbalizing it. Yeah. Thank you. No, I, I love that. I think that's a really great, great lesson to learn. Appreciate that. Um, where you are in your work now, and all of the things that you have going on, what do you want the world to most know about the students you're working with and the work that you're doing? Mm, I, I want the world to know that when we have aspirations, our self-perceptions change mm-hmm. about how far one can reach. You know, so it's very, very important for us to have aspirations. Um, but uh, for that, I think we need to create support systems mentoring programs, um, both at homes and um, community spaces, schools. Um, that's what it is. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, it's, it's bringing all the resources to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And support. Support, yeah. I appreciate that. So do you happen to know um, what's going to happen with the Wharton Reimagine Education Award? Yeah, so we were uh, nominated uh, as like 150 people. No, about 110 people were nominated out of uh, 1,100 applications. Wow. Okay. Um, so, and then we were given an opportunity to do a presentation, but we didn't get the final award. Um, the final award went to somebody else, but it was a fantastic um, great opportunity because they were all big universities mm-hmm. and researchers with so much expertise and technology at a much um, higher dimension in, in this context, in the context of the West. Mm-hmm. Um, um, all of that. So we learned a lot, um, but we didn't get the final award, but we had the opportunities to network with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We're going to take that back and then hopefully um, expand our work. Yeah, um, I'm sorry you didn't win the award. I was really keeping my fingers crossed for you and hoping, I was like, I hope they get this award. (laughs) No, you never know. These are all like by chance. But we made it up to the point. This level was pretty impressive for me because they're all really smart people that had come out there. (laughs) It is an impressive group. I've looked at some of the past awards. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive group. Very impressive. So imagine that we made it that far. So it's pretty good. Yeah, it's something to definitely be proud of. And to your point, you're making (laughs) the connections with the people there that you can hopefully turn into other things for the Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. Um, Bhagya, how can, what is a specific action someone can take to support you and the work that you're doing? Um, imagine one can support a teacher with resources to teach with $100, one-time donation. Okay, so um, they can make a one-time donation by going to the website, right? Uh, yes, we can do it uh, okay. at the website. Yes. Okay. So, um, go ahead. Yeah. So, by the way, before I forget, I wanted to say that CLT International Foundation is set up in Virginia. Okay. Um, this is to facilitate 100% tax exemption for donors in the United States. Um, so, CLT International Foundation is also there. Uh, they can also directly... Um, do the donations right here. They don't need to go to the Indian website at all. Oh, okay. Um, so I recommend they go into the CLT International Foundation um, and the, the, through PayPal. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, they should be able to do the donation, and then they'll they'll be given a tax exemption um, when uh, when they do directly to the CLT International Foundation. That's great. So, folks, you can just go to just go to Google CLT International Foundation, and you can use PayPal, which is secure and safe, and make a tax deductible donation. You need to. This is de- we're this is December. And in December, you have to get your donations in before the end of the month anyway. So it's perfect time if you want it to count on your tax return that you're gonna to have to file in a few short months. So make sure you head over to CLT International Foundation, leave that donation and help this work expand. It's already impacted over a million students and they got five more, five more million that they're trying to hit. So you can put in some Thanks. holiday cheer, get your tax deductible piece done and make that donation for them. Thank you so much, Bhagya, for your time today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, again, uh, they could write to me directly mm-hmm. at info at cltindia.org. Um, there could be general donations and we'll tell them about how the money could be spent. Absolutely. Um, as in like gifting, uh, your, their, their gift can make a big difference in someone's life. Yes, it makes a Thank huge you. difference. So make sure, listeners, make sure that you do that. And I know that a lot of people listening to this show really care a lot about education. I know for a fact that some of you are teachers. Um, I know that for a fact that some of you are involved in public education, even if you are not a teacher. So what you need to do in addition to giving that kind donation to the organization is you need to share this episode. You need to spread the word. And if you're not able to make a donation today, it really helps to spread the word and let other people know how important this work is. So go to the share button press share, put it on your Facebook, tell your friends, tell everybody you know that cares about education. If you're a teacher, take this back to work with you. Tell all your teacher buddies. Everybody needs to know about this. And you can use it as inspiration. You can email Bagia directly and maybe find a way to connect with each other and support each other. So just go do that. Spread the word. Donate if you can. It is much, much appreciated. Again, congratulations, Bagia, on the nomination for the Reimagine Education Awards. It's a huge honor. I'm so proud of you guys. Like, I didn't even Thank do you. any of the work, and I just feel so <laughs> proud of you. Very, <laughs> so. yeah, very kind, very generous. Thank you so much. Um, it's a great opportunity for us, and we'll be sharing these episodes with our friends back home, Wonderful. and then here and in U.S. Thank Wonderful. you so much. I'm so excited. Thank you. And listeners, friends of the podcast, Inspiration Junkies, that is our bonus episode for the season. I hope that you loved it and make sure that you share. I'm going to go back and I'm going to check. <laughs> so make sure you share. Um, this is airing in December. So happy holidays to you all. You know that I love you. Thank you for your support of this podcast. Thank you for listening and for your time and for being with me on this journey. Most of all, thank you for supporting the women on this podcast that we profile because they are incredible people that are out here doing incredible things in the world and aren't expecting anything back for themselves. They're just doing what needs to be done because it matters and because it creates impact and because it moves us all forward, all of us. So thank you. Have a good one. We're out. Bye.